legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's Talk Legacy. Welcome to Let's Talk Legacy. My name is Gary Michaels. I'm the host of the show. And again, we have an amazing guest today on our show, Susan Brown. She's an author, speaker, legacy transformation mentor using what she calls the legacy game changer method. We're going to get into that, of course, today. So welcome, Susan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. And thank you for everybody you serve and all you pour into the world and this beautiful mission you have going on. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I want, I want to start out, uh, talking some sort of uh, things that might be difficult to speak about because they're things that shaped you into who you are today, which is someone doing so much to help others. Early on, you actually dealt with being bullied and for a while experienced a period of homelessness. Yes. And I think that's so important too to remind people that anybody that the world sees as successful, there's always a behind the scenes and there's also always a meanwhile, right? So even people that are currently um, successful by whatever parameters you're going to put on that, they're still struggling. They're still human. They still have things going on in their life. So I, one of the biggest things I try to focus on with myself and with my family, with my clients is changing your vision. And it's really, really, really important because we talk a lot about mindset, but I think your vision has to come first in order to change your mindset. And so much of what we see, Gary, is just how we've been raised in a culture, right? And we're told things are one way. But the truth of the matter is there really is a whole other realm going on around us that sometimes we just have to open our eyes to see. So for example, um, when I was homeless, I tell people to this day, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me truly, um, because it just floored me, brought me to my knees. I had nowhere else to go, like you said, but up. And it was a reckoning with myself and with God. And I was like, okay, well, I had to make a decision. The decision was that this was not going to be my forever So then I had to decide what I was going to do, what my goal was, what my intention was, and what I was willing to do and what I was willing to part with to get there. What are you willing to give up, right? That that old spread, what are you willing to give up to get what you want, right? Yeah, because nothing's going to come easy or cheap, right? I mean, you you can't just say, oh, I want to make a million dollars and not sacrifice time out with friends or with family or sleep or extra time at the gym. You know, there's going to be something, whatever your goal is, there has to be a sacrifice along the way, or it's not going to be worth it, honestly. But when you were, when you were in that spot of homelessness and, and struggle, what did you have to give up? Was it your ego? No, good question. The ego for me, I think had already gone. And part of that was a good reason. I think part of that was growing up, having a hard time being really bullied and everything like that. And finally kind of succumbing to all these lies that had been fed about being just, you know, worthless and useless and ugly, all, all the things I had kind of owned that. So the ego was already gone, which I think was actually a blessing So for me, the thing I gave up really was sleeping, which was okay with me because it wasn't really a fun thing to fall asleep. I was much younger. I tried to wear a baseball cap and fall asleep with mace in my hand in my car, you know, 
But even before that, Gary, the very first step, and this is what I walk my coaching clients through, is I had to get in a deep place of gratitude. Because to be honest with you, until you can be grateful in really hard times, the really hard truth is you'll never be a grateful person. And gratitude actually turns into an action. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. That might be how it starts. But for me, it is a vision You change how you see things, and then that changes how you behave, what you do, and how you're going to get there. And you're not going to be willing to hurt people to get there. You're not going to be willing to do the wrong things to get there. You're going to have to hold yourself to a higher level, and you're not going to be able to blame anybody else either. You're going to have to look in the mirror and reckon with yourself and be like, okay, here we go. What are we willing to do here? Like it physiologically changes your brain chemistry. And it's okay that people struggle with it because I don't believe we're born grateful. You know, we're born quite selfish, right? When it comes to the world's babies, well, we need everything, right? We need somebody to take care of us. And then the hard part is thinking long-term of thinking legacy. So when I was living in my car, I was, I actually thought a lot about my future self. I thought a lot about, you have to put on your eternal lenses and think, okay, well, what do I want to look back on this and be grateful for? And what can I be grateful for now? And it was clear as day. I was like, holy crap, have a car. Oh my goodness, I'm living in my car. I could be on the streets and not have a way to drive to all these interviews and drive. And so right away, I felt like I was living in a mansion, right? So I was able to behave like that. And I very much took care of my car. I didn't want anybody to know I was homeless because I didn't want to lose the current job I had. I went out and got three jobs. I worked 21 hours a day. Wow. I would have, and I would just eat one meal a day. I would eat lunch because I was stockpiling my money because my goal, as you can imagine, was to get a place of my own. Now, going back to what you're talking about with the vision, people get really hung up on this, right? Because there's a whole lot of woo-woo around it, but you got to separate all the silly and the woo-woo and people that just want to think they can sit on their couch and just manifest a million dollars off in their lap. It doesn't work like that. But we all have something called our RAS. It's your reticular activating system. And it's basically a bundle of nerves at the base of your brainstem. And it is responsible for filtering out, allowing us to filter out what's going on so that you can focus on what's important. So like right now, you and I here, it's not that you and I don't have 10 million other things that we need to do after we get off of our call today or other things are going to call for our attention. But it is the fact that you and I are able to sit here and have a conversation and not be like, oh, oh, wait, what, what? So that's your RAS. It's basically the gateway between your subconscious and your conscious mind. And again, people get all woo-woo about your subconscious, but all your subconscious is, is just your unconscious mind. It allows you and I to sleep and breathe and silver organs function. It's always on. So when you were talking about the vision and how you speak those things, there's also science proving when you speak them out loud and it goes into your brain back here, then it changes your thought patterns. And all of that is affecting with that reticular activating system. And that's changing your vision. That's changing how you see things. And what's really cool is when I was living in my car, I knew I needed one singular thing to focus on. I found this beautiful uh, furniture store and it was all glass front facing the parking lot. And it had this beautiful four poster bed inside of it. And every night pull up there and for 30 minutes, I would not only like, I wasn't staring at the physical bed itself, although I was admiring its beauty, but I was visualizing myself actually in that bed and pulling the covers up and feeling the safety and the warmth. And it was a deep practice. And I did that every single night. And now I was ready for the next level. So you, 
got through that situation and at a further point in your life, you spend some time as a paramedic. Yes. So I knew when I got out of being homeless and wanted to go back to school and finish my degree, I just thought, how can I tangibly help people? So I think the thing that was uh, the hardest on me was seeing the after after effect. And I'll explain what that is in a minute, but also not getting what I realized the nurses and the doctors get is I didn't get to know what happened. So what we did is we worked 24 hour shifts. So you work 24 hours, you'd be off 48. And so it was not uncommon for me, my first 24 off to try to follow up with the ERs and see, did that patient make it? Are they okay? Did their family? So that became a little bit, but the thing that stuck with me even more that led me to where I am with this, there's an after, after effect that people don't talk about. Um, I'll give you an example. Let's say we would get a call for, um, sometimes what we would get from dispatch would just be one down. So we don't know if somebody's choking or heart attack, or whatever. So we go to a house and we'll just call it a nuclear family, a husband and wife and kids. And um, the husband was deceased. And as we take his body to the morgue, I see the after, after. And I see this wife fall apart and say, oh my gosh, I can't remember if he had the new passcode to the truck the company gave him oh my gosh did he say that he had life insurance I think he just switched and I don't know where it is oh my goodness did he leave the kids the frame thing like all the all these things that you don't think about until it's too late and that we don't think about as living people unless we're left with it all these things with life right with life now that was the normal after part here comes the double after effect it would not be uncommon that a few months later, we get a call and I would look at my partner and say, does that address sound familiar to you? The wife had committed suicide, but it was not from what people think. It was not from grief alone. And we know that because there was a note. The note would explain that the house was taken from her, her husband was taken from her, and that she didn't have any money and could no longer bear it and her children be better off without her. So what I found out is, that this gentleman, along with a lot of husbands, because it's sometimes the mainly thing to do, and there's nothing wrong with that, have the mortgage in their name only. So then, because the mortgage is in their name only, and maybe they've been paying the bills, the wife didn't even know who to pay the bills to. Well, the mortgage company didn't know who the wife was because she wasn't on there, so they can't find her. So then the bill doesn't get paid. They don't know where to find her. The house gets taken, and now she has nothing. That's so crazy that you talk about this because out there every day, you know, we're in the life insurance space and we have agents all across the country. We're having those conversations with people. I find out so often that people are never talked to about this stuff. They don't know. And it's not just a life insurance policy. It's take care of your life so that when that time comes, we're prepared for it. And I, I always tell people, I, I don't know if I could work in a in a cemetery or more, because it's all sad at that point by the time someone's already passed. Yes. But it's it's beautiful what we get to do to do the pre-planning. And, you know, the number one biggest emotion that people do anything for is love. Yeah. You get to put on their superhero cape and actually be a superhero for their family in real life. And then you get to actually transform generations and prevent massive, unnecessary suffering. But we get conditioned to not talk about what I call the big three, money, sex, and death, right? Ooh, 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 scary, scary. Well, what happens if we don't talk about those topics? I can tell you firsthand is we make all the mistakes in all those areas, right? Or we learn the wrong things from the wrong people. 
And then it takes us this many years to learn the right things. Right. Yeah. And so what's interesting is, especially now in our day and age, life insurance, I tell people, listen, if you love your family, you put, you make sure they have their seatbelt on. Right. Cause I'm like, if you don't, don't talk to me again. I've been a paramedic. You don't know what I've seen. And my mom was, became a C1 quadriplegic in a car wreck, but put on your flipping seatbelt. You know, it's not an emotional decision. It's an intelligent one. And these days, these days, you know, it's not like it used to be 30, 40, 50 years ago where it's the old person in a polyester suit, pushy salesperson talking about these things, okay? Most people that are in this space now are well-educated, are sharing ideas about things that life insurance policies that actually are an investment as well as life insurance and give benefits prior to death so you're not burdening your family when things happen prior to death. And right. so it's just a misconception that's been out there for a very long time. And I appreciate you bringing that up. We don't often bring up why I get life insurance on the show, but as it came up, I, I live it every day and our agents do about how important it is to to give your family that gift. And, and it's that. And I, you know, speaking about this, you had to have some very tough conversations and deal with a bunch of tough things when you were acting as a health and safety director for the Red Cross during 9-11. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. My role as the health and safety director was more of, I was the one that certified the teachers in CPR and first aid. That was my specific role. And what's interesting is I can remember 9-11 exactly is um, I had already stopped watching the news. We had turned it on before we left the house. I was running late and we saw the first uh, plane hit. And like everybody, we thought, oh my gosh, that's so sad. That pilot must have fallen asleep or had a seizure. You know, you just kind of assumed the best. And then we're driving through the bank through Teller and on the radio, we hear the second one in our heart saying, so we, my husband gets me to my office. It was a blessing. I was late because they didn't hear anything. And this is, you know, I mean, back in the day. And so I said, we walked in and from that moment on, the reason I tell you what my job was, is all of our jobs shifted. Everything became about ultimate service outside of your roles, doing whatever you were called to do, because even though we weren't in the place where it happened, it affected everybody. And a lot of mental health came into play, a lot of things like that, because it affected everybody. And there was going to be also outpouring. Again, you think of the ripple effect, right? Not everybody that was affected lived in New York City, right? But there might have been somebody that lived in Mississippi that their dad was working in the Twin Towers. So yeah. It affected everybody. And so we had a lot of time of on the ground, out of the office, feet on the ground with the people, which I I like that. I prefer that as opposed to, you know, training the um, CPR and first aid teachers. It was more of a missions, I guess you could call it. And we were out there and there was so many people touched um, from around, you know, the whole country just because, like I said, I mean, everybody that worked there, they had family in other parts of the country. So what we saw there was just the mass catastrophe, but also the mass uprising of the mass gratitude and the mass initiation of the vision of the change you want to see. And I think when people think about um, life insurance or legacy, for some reason they get too emotional. But then when something emotionally charged and tangible happens like 9-11, then it becomes an intellectual thing and people are like, okay, we got to do something, even though it starts with the emotion. Yeah, it's not until something happens. It's not until someone close to you gets hurt or almost dies or you almost die that you're more in the reactive mode 
as opposed to the proactive mode, which is hard to do. And it's it's interesting to me too, because there's certain things in life like car insurance. Everybody does it. In most states, I think every state, it's illegal if you don't have car insurance. But it's interesting how society has not required people to get it to protect your family. And and it's just a, it's just a debate. It would be a good speech and debate topic, right? But what I'm seeing is that 40 to 50% of Americans, okay, don't have insurance or don't have proper protection or don't even know what they have. Right. And on top of that, Gary, part of the problem too is that you and I know that life insurance is the most important piece of the puzzle, right? But it's only one piece of it. And so the issue is, is that people think, oh, I have life insurance. But the problem with that is, like you said, have they communicated it to the other people? Do they have it in an organized place where the person that needs to have it knows about it? So I finally came up with this system called the Peace of Mind Blueprint. And what it has is not just your life insurance, but it basically is the ultimate organizational tool to put it all in one place, but guaranteed it gets through to the next person. So like when my mom died, like my dad still can't get into her Facebook account and it's been hacked numerous times. So there's so many layers of the details. There's just so many pieces to the puzzle. And one of the most popular of the piece of mind blueprint is the how to without me, you know, and people don't think about that. But like my grandmother, I would give anything to know how she made the world's best soft boiled eggs, like ridiculous. You know, you can Google it. It's not the same. It's just not. Nobody's like her. So that I created just to be a digital product. And here is why, because it's completely customizable. Not everybody is going to need every part of it, right? So like in the workforce section, I have like an entrepreneur self-employed section and a work section. And the reason that came up is because my husband, when we were living in Texas, would travel so much. And I would say, babe, if something were to happen to you and the company would come tell me, I wouldn't know what credit cards are in your wallet go to them. And I wouldn't know who to trust. I wouldn't know who to sign the truck back into. I wouldn't have the keys to your office to get the stuff the girls have given you. you So I have all that in there. It's at peaceofmindblueprint.com. And then I actually have a freebie for y'all as well at the livefreechecklist.com. And those are like my top three tips that I share with visionaries who really want to transform their life super fast with three specific things I use every day. And that's at livefreechecklist.com. And that's a good freebie. I love it. You've weathered all these difficult challenges in your life and funneled through the, these experience and and then you're what's called a legacy transformation mentor, correct? Yes. I've heard similar terms, but not necessarily laid out like that. What does that mean to be a legacy transformation mentor? Oh, it's so exciting. I'm saying that yes. But I think of legacy as being line extending generations as Christ in you. And so for me, you know, even if you just think of legacy as a line extending generations, well, the only way to get that line through and to continue on is with having all the right pieces to the puzzle, having them organized in one place and guaranteeing is communicated to the person that needs to find it. That was the crux, Gary, man, that is what ate me alive as a paramedic. I'm like, how did these people not have it? But you're right. It was because of fear. You know, people, like you said, will do anything for love. Well, I think maybe people aren't afraid enough to lose the one they love. We need to get past ourselves and get out of our own heads and stop thinking about ourselves in this life. Because what happens actually physiological is when we are experiencing grief, 
grief actually hijacks the functional part of your brain and two plus two becomes blue zebra. Like there's, there's not logic doesn't exist when grief is deep. And so the problem is that is why a lot of people get taken advantage of, or you hear people that it's some, they lost somebody and then that person signed over their life insurance or they did something silly. And we actually have the power to prevent that. You know, our, our company had many, many choices when it came to what we're going to call the company and we're called Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. And and I so believe in that as giving people the tools and inspiration to leave a legacy for their kids and people beyond them and, and people that they work with. And I, I think inherently we were brought on this earth to be servants. To build something bigger than ourselves. That's right. That's right. I wanted to ask you, what is a legacy game changer method? It's a five-step method and it spells a word. It's spelled gives because as you know, we're on this earth to serve. So mm-hmm. it starts with gratitude. Then it goes to intention to invest, but also flipping that around and investing in your intention. And then the V is vision. You have to have that specific goal of where you're going. And E is execution. That's where people fall short. They don't want to do the work. And then S is super, super awesome because it's surround and so. And what that means is surround yourself with the people you want to be like, where you want to go. And then so by paying it forward behind you and bringing people up with you. Yeah. So two last questions for you. One is we weren't going to let you get off the show since we're about legacy. What does legacy mean to you? Really, it is that line extending generations as Christ in you. And when I think of that for me, like, and again, this is what it is personal to me is I remember when I was nearly dying on the floor in front of my two young children from a miscarriage. And um, I remember looking up at them and I can tell you personally, the things that do not run through your mind is, oh, did I have enough social media followers? Of course, I don't think we had social media back then, but um, oh, you know, did I look good in the outfit? You don't think about all these vanity metrics. What you think about is, oh, dear God, are they going to be able to be okay without me? Did I leave them in a proper position? And I remember actually begging God and thinking, let me be here. I'll fix it. I'll make it right. God, give me the wisdom. Give me the tools to prepare them to be okay without me. Because that's the thing too, right? So a legacy to me is that line extending generations and you can't extend it unless you have prepared a tool and unless you've found a way to have joy here and now, because that's the other thing. You've got to create a life that's worth carrying on. If you're just walking around moping and all the time, like, well, oh my gosh, I guess I better do this hard thing. Well, make it worthwhile living now. And be sure it's guaranteed to be here. Have the right pieces of the puzzle in place. So to me, is that line extending generations a joyful? Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. And how would people get in touch with you? That you have so much to offer. Yeah, the basic nutshell is just go to legacygamechangers.com. You can find me there. You can email me at hello at legacygamechangers.com. Everything is up there as far as where to find me for speaking and contact me and all that. So that's the sum of it. And yes, to give you the freebie, go to livefreechecklist.com. Those are my top three that I do every day. And most of it all, y'all tune in to hear Gary and everything he is doing and pouring Mm -hmm. into this beautiful world and on his beautiful mission. So yeah. Thank you so much, Susan. I applaud you. I applaud you. 
If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies.